Welcome to How We Win, the official podcast of The Persistence. 71 days until the most important election of our lives. Action is the best antidote for anxiety, and we can all make a difference right now. There she is. Today, Mariah is back from (laughs) vacation and helps break down the jaw-dropping revelations of the past week and breaks some very big news about our show as well. And then joining us to talk about her work as a lifelong advocate and activist for voting rights. She's a civil rights icon in her own right. California Secretary of State, Dr. Shirley Weber. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is How We Went. Mariah, I am so excited, uh, first of all, that you're back. Hey, buddy. Nice to see you. (laughs) Hello, everyone. Missed you all. Uh, I'm still kind of buzzing from our live show that we did, and uh, it was bittersweet uh, without you there. Uh, And I know a lot of people were hoping that you would be part of that, too. And... um, but uh, you had uh, some family obligations and some vacation stuff, so um, you were missed, but not forgotten. Yeah, I'm so sorry that I missed it. I know that so much money was raised, so much fun was had. <laughs> I did rest up a little bit before the sprint that we're heading into right now. So, uh, yeah, it felt it felt good. But also, I miss the fun. Mm, Yeah. Well, I know we have some news that we want to break, that you have some news to break. But let's talk about the news of the week first. For me, there's so much to talk about. This week has just been jam-packed of a combination of, of justice and Biden accomplishments. But let's start with the Biden student debt relief. Uh, which is a really big deal. And um, for Biden to do this, it's uh, really meaningful. It's uh, We talk about it a, li- a little bit with uh, Dr. Shirley Weber, Secretary of State Shirley Weber, who, of course, um, has incredible education bona fide being a professor herself. Mm-hmm. But um, what, what's your, your take on this uh, debt relief and what it's going to do for students all over the country? Or, or graduated um, students, not students, but just people. Um, just people. Um, many people who have not been a student for a very long time, but are mm-hmm. still very deep in debt. I um, had uh, some student loans that I paid off in the fall of, um, let's see, what what was it, 2020. Okay. And my husband laughed at me and said I should have waited. <laughs> and it felt really amazing to pay them off. And I am so excited that no matter how people wrap up their student loans, that they're going to join me in that good feeling. This is great news. Whether it is wiping out your debt or taking away a portion of it, this is incredible. And it is a promise fulfilled. And don't we complain all the time that that never happens? So um, mm-hmm. I I think this is fantastic. And it's, I think that, you know, the big news is that people's loans, $10,000, $20,000, up to $10,000 or $20,000, depending on what type of loans you had, 
and what your income is are going to be forgiven, but it's, it's part of a three-part plan. One that, you know, pauses student loan payments for some folks, um, that forgives student loans, um, for some folks. And the third thing is that it protects students in the future from onerous, predatory, and overburdensome loan schemes. And so this whole package is really important. And it's not just about the people who were students back when, but future students um, uh, and current ones as well. So um, great news. I think one thing that people haven't talked enough about is that this is not going to be an automatic thing. You're going to have to apply to have your loans forgiven if you qualify. The application isn't out yet, but um, it's supposed to be coming any day now. Um, it will be open through the end of 2023, but you are advised to apply by November 15th of this year um, because after that, the the pause on payments will be over. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, you're going to have to pay between the unpause and the time that you're forgiveness application is is processed so um if you if you don't want that window then go ahead and, and get that application in as soon as you can that's great practical flags while we're all celebrating uh what this is going to do for people we should remind people to apply for it and take yeah. advantage of this program so biden's had so many successes we've already talked about uh the Inflation Reduction Act, um, and we should keep talking about that. And our calls to action in recent weeks have been for everyone listening to talk about that because, uh, you know, once that kicks in in communities, Republicans are going to take credit for it, even though not a single one voted for it. But Biden's been starting his uh, campaign tour talking about his accomplishments. He, mm -hmm. uh, at a campaign stop, called MAGA Republicans semi-fascists, which, mm. you know, I mean, I appreciate the caveat of the semi-fascists. They're outright fascists. I mean, we've been we've been calling them fascists for a long time. But it was meaningful to me to have him sort of come around on that and say that because like that's an an incredible thing to say about our our government, about our society today, that fascism is thriving and there are fascists who are trying to take over our government. And when we first started this podcast together and started calling it out as it is, I mean, it's just the what they are doing, the playbook, it's the definition of fascism. It was still hard to say out loud. You know, I, I it was just... It felt weird to have to say that in 2022 now, but um, mm -hmm. it's the truth. And, and coming from the president, having him say that, uh, I think, was really meaningful. And also calling out MAGA Republicans is uh, a very clever and important me messaging technique that uh, our friend Anat Shankarasario says mm -hmm. to do, too. Instead of vilifying the Republican Party writ large, Call them right. MAGA Republicans. Make a distinguish, uh, distinguish them from people who maybe are feeling disenfranchised from the party that they once supported. Yeah, um, this is. I'm so glad you brought up a knot because this is clearly part of um, the White House's new approach to messaging ahead of the midterms. We're seeing the president speak a little bit differently. We're seeing his supporters. Um, speak a little bit differently about his 
accomplishments and the administration's accomplishments, we're seeing a new social media oh, person yeah. running the White House <laughs> accounts, and she's doing a terrific job of just directly calling out um, Republicans that, you know, particularly when it came to the 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 student loan debt relief, um, all of the the folks who had taken out hundreds of thousands of dollars in PPP loans, right, which were then converted to grants. So they were uh, they never had to pay back those loans. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those folks who were railing against the irresponsibility of not paying back your loans, who just gotten, you know, up to a million dollars, I think, in some cases. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the White House Twitter account was like, basically like, hey, Marjorie Taylor Greene, miss you. Like, <laughs> Epic. <laughs> didn't you get all this money forgiven? <laughs> what about the rest of us? Uh, it was so smooth. So it just cut everyone to the quick. It was one of my favorite Twitter days. And, and a cesspool that is Twitter. It was a really <laughs> fun day to be on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, what can we do? We can do what Anat and Steve and folks always tell us to do is amplify these effective messages. I'm going to say something controversial. Ooh. I really, I really hate the dark Brandon memes, <laughs> <laughs> but I understand that they seem to be appealing to some people. So if that's your thing, share some dark <laughs> Brandon memes, don't tag me in them. I just definitely tag Mariah on all of your dark. <laughs> let's blow up her Twitter feed with dark Brandon memes. Yeah, now. this is um like a social media thing that to me is just at so Mariah underscore Craven. But, but people love it. But there's also a lot of people posting gas prices in their uh, in their communities. They're posting Which how are much going they're going down. <laughs> <laughs> which are going way down or how much they're going to save with the student loans and um you know uh, what like what what is the inflation relief act going to do for your your community um your you know your local democratic congressperson is probably already touting it you can amplify that messaging so yep. so that's some of the news that's going on in our country um we want to break some news about our show now too so Mariah, what news do you want to break about how we win? Um, that today is my last show. <laughs> I know it's so bittersweet. It's um, this is like the best of times and worst of times. I say my cup runneth over. My life is a little too full right now. I um talk a lot about having this. Incredible two-year-old. He's amazing. Happiest baby so, on the planet, baby Jackson. He's, he's so happy. He brings me so much joy. And he has a sister coming soon. Um, so I'm having another baby and I'm working more and we have a big midterm coming up and I'm just a, a little bit overwhelmed. And so I'm taking a step back from co-hosting the podcast i'm going to become a faithful listener <laughs> um <laughs> and yeah I, i'm i'm excited and sad at the same time i am so grateful to you steve um i've talked about this um before steve has been amazing um 
this is his idea, his baby. He does the heavy lifting every week. Um, so thank you, Steve, for this opportunity. It's been just such a, a privilege to do this with you for, I think it's been three years now. Three years. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, you know, our listeners, so amazing. They've built such a great community um, and they've really been a lifeline during like the big life changes that I've had over the last couple of years, a baby and moving to Texas and all the things that come with living in the United States right now, which is a little bit, you know, confusing and sometimes a little bit, um, I don't want to say scary, but it's kind of jarring being mm -hmm. here right now. It's scary um, at times too. Yeah. It's scary. It is. It, I'll, it's scary at times. And then um, our guests have just been so incredible. Um, they have taught me a lot. They've inspired me and they've been really intimidating. <laughs> um, and and so I, I think that's one of the things. So I was on vacation recently and I was um, watching like uh, I was I was watching cable for the first time in a while. And that's how I discovered that one of our guests, Baratunde Thurston, hosts a show on PBS. Yeah. A travel and show. A travel show. And he he's like, he writes, he does TV, he does social media, he hosts a travel show. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, how do these people have the time to do all of this? And that has been um, something that I've struggled with over the last year or two when I've gotten particularly busy is like this idea that, oh my gosh, what if I'm not doing enough? And hmm. I've just had to like sit and think about it and say, you know what? I ask myself, are you doing the best that you can? And if I'm not, then I up my game. But a lot of times the answer is yes, I'm doing either the best or the most that I can. And, you know, so some days this has been about just like, you know, keep moving, you know, put one foot in front of the other. If I can make phone calls this week, I'll do it. And if I can't, then I'll tweet a link to making phone calls or something like that. Um, and and then uh, the last thing I'll say is this, this time together has really solidified like a feeling that I, I and a, a philosophy that I developed when I was working on campaigns and in that world. And that is a belief and a practice um, that there is a place for everyone to make a difference in the Democratic Party. It might take some courage and it might take some creativity to find your place, but there is something for all of us to do no matter what our time, capacity, or talents are. Um, so I just want to leave folks with that and hope that if you've been a listener and haven't taken action um, that you that you think about looking for your place. If you've tried to take action and haven't been satisfied, um, then you know it's time to try again and try something else. Um, we are a community. We're not perfect, but there's something for everyone here, and that's what makes us different. So it's beautiful. Um, let's move from that news right to our hero of the week. So, of course, I chose the hero of the week, and that is my friend Mariah Craven, who, <laughs> <laughs> who is 
my hero. And um, man, I I cannot tell you how much I'm going to miss doing this podcast with you and and what you bring to it each and every week. Uh, our listeners know. Uh, maybe they don't uh, because it's it's so seamless, the, uh, the knowledge uh, that you bring, the perspective that you bring every week. Um, I've just have so much gratitude uh, for being on this journey with you over the last three years. We've really been chronicling just history in, in the strangest yeah. form, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we never, I, neither of us knew what we were in for when we started this, you know, political podcast. Oh my God. The whole idea was just to get people into action and and yeah. help and get them volunteering and, and let them know what you just stated, that there's a place for them and that they can make an impact. And, uh, you know, this has been strange times indeed. And every week we've been coming together and you've been bringing your perspective. You've taught me so much. You always bring information that I didn't know about or wasn't thinking about. Um, I'm, I'm just really, really grateful for you. Um, you're uh, the kind of person who doesn't seek out uh, attention for the work that you do. You do it uh, uh, effectively in the background um, and... Uh, you know, you're just so vigilant and uh, and the epitome of persistence and um, even through some really tough, tough things that we all walk through. And I know you've ha- you've had uh, a lot of really tough things to walk through over the last three years while you've been doing the show. And then the last thing that I, I want to say is every week you bring your open heart and humanity to this show. And I know there's just no way to replace that because you have a willingness to be vulnerable and honest with how you're feeling every every week and every moment um, that I respect so much. And I know our listeners connect to so much too. Um, I am a huge fan of yours, Mariah Craven. I'm uh, honored to call you a friend. You're a very important person in my life and uh, I'm so grateful for the 151 episodes and three years of this show oh that we've had the gosh. pleasure of doing together. So for all those reasons and more, Mariah Craven, you are our hero of the week. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> what an honor. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was so sweet. Yep. I put that on my resume. <laughs> How we win hero of the week. Yeah, that'll get you <laughs> far. That's a... You know, there's been some luminaries who have shared that. <laughs> there have been. I'm I'm honored. It's it's been a, a, a use a cliche an honor and a privilege. So, thank well, you. Well, I'm gonna cajole you into coming and checking in with us too, so you can't go away forever. Oh, that would be super fun. How do we replace Mariah on this show? I have no idea because you are uniquely irreplaceable. And um, and so what we're going to do, especially in the ramp up to the midterms, is have some guest hosts come on and um, and kind of uh, try not rush to find the person, but, um, you know, kind of organically find the, the right person. Uh, I definitely don't want to do this show by myself. Um, and the perspective that you've brought your lived experience, which is different than my lived experience, has been extremely mm-hmm. important to me. Um, and to our listeners, I know. So 
Uh, so I don't have any news to break about a new co-host just yet, mm -hmm. but um, we're going to have some fun bringing in some some different people to help out uh, in the coming weeks. I think that will be fun. I can't wait to see uh, who fills in and and where this goes. I'm super I curious a, too. <laughs> I love a mystery. I'm sad though. I'm but I'm curious and yeah, it's it's going to be fine. Everything's fine. Everything is great. <laughs> Nothing to be sad about. I'm probably going to be phone banking some of you people, so That's right. Yeah, you'll you'll be hearing from me some kind of way. Um <laughs> But enough of the sentimentality. We got some work to do. That's right. I love your items on this week's to-do list because they're easy and effective. That's and right. Important. That's right. So um, first of all, uh, this is a simple one, and we've said it before. We'll say it again. We don't say it enough. Check your mm -hmm. voter registration. Contact your friends and family and make sure you are registered to vote. It seems simple, but Fair Fight put out uh, a uh, alert in Georgia that the voting rolls are being purged. Uh, Secretary of State Weber talks about it. Um, fortunately, we don't have that problem in California, but in Republican-held states, they are uh, purging the rolls. And uh, we need to make sure that everyone knows that and checks their registration and make sure they are registered to vote. So uh, a simple place to do that is to go to vote.org and check out your registration. Um, the other thing that we can do this week is um, I know so many of you have donated to the How We Win Fund. Thank you so much. That's amazing. If you haven't had a chance yet to to join the, the donate team, it goes to Swing Left. And what they're going to do is take your money and at the exact right moment, send it to the exact right place to have the most impact. So you don't have to take the time to do the research and blah, 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 and like figure out how to just make one donation. It'll go to the races that um, really need it the most and that we have a good shot of winning. That's right. All right. So uh, what's your uh, reason for your final reason for hope as co-host of the show, Mariah? Gosh, um, I always wait till the last minute to come up with these because <laughs> some weeks are less hopeful than others. True. This week I'm full of a lot of hope. And again, I just can't say enough about um, the the reason that we've been doing, that we've done this podcast 152 times um, is uh, the people who are listening. Um, I'm so grateful for every subscription, every download every um uh rating except for a couple you know who you are <laughs> you're probably not listening anymore <laughs> no um, i don't think they ever did <laughs> <laughs> yeah they, they definitely did thank you for for sticking with us thank you for your messages and your tweets and your action um most important of all gosh i'm just honored to be able to to be in your ear every now and then um, Steve, what is your reason for hope? 
Uh, my reason for hope is this blue wind that is at our backs right now, um, mm. and we've been talking about it a lot. We're going to keep talking about it. Uh, one of your calls to action recently was to make some phone calls for the special election in New York for Pat Ryan, who was just uh, who just won that election. That is huge. It, it was he was on the bubble. It was iffy for him, and he way outperformed polling. Uh, there was great turnout by Democrats in that election, uh, a very important bellwether heading into the most important election of our lives once again. Uh, So, you know, we've got such a compelling case to be made. Democrats are delivering. Uh, There's justice happening. Row rage is is real and galvanizing. And, uh, you know, women uh, and young women are registering to vote in record numbers. I mean, there is a, a real shifting of the tides here that even the mainstream media is talking about, believe it or not, because they love their gloom and doom, but they're talking about the shifting tides. It's bringing me hope. We have to work hard every single day to make that a reality. We cannot take anything for granted for sure. So, um, but that's bringing me hope. Um, that's my reason for hope today. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Mariah. And uh, I can't wait for everyone to hear uh, this inspiring, insightful interview with our California Secretary of State, Shirley Weber. Prior to being appointed the first Black Secretary of State in California history, Dr. Shirley Weber served four terms as a California Assembly member. She's been on the front lines fighting for equality, civil rights, and voting rights her entire life. Steve loves hearing Secretary Weber speak. <laughs> I do. I just want to. I just want to point out that. I've got on my Black Women's Democratic Club t-shirt with your name on it. It's a little stretched out over my belly right now. (laughs) (laughs) So I need to go up a size. But um, Secretary Weber, thank you so much for joining us today. It's always my pleasure. My pleasure. (laughs) Um, Um, Very often. So that's a good thing. you credit your family's experience in the in the Jim Crow South as a driving force for your activism and legislative work. What are your earliest memories of your own activism? You know, I um, I guess the, the early members, mem- memories of my life um, deal with um, issues that I faced, I think, as a young woman, um, and particularly in high school. I, I saw things when I was young and and understood some of the issues of race when I was a kid. But I think when I finally got to high school and I, I began to recognize some of the, this even the discriminatory practices in a high school that was majority black. Mm-hmm. High school that's 90, 99% African-American, manual arts high school at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was in a class of, of those that expected to go to college, a class that was uh, supposedly high achieving. And with a school that's 99% African-American, there were probably three of us in that whole class that were black. Mm. So that becomes shocking to you and, and it's kind of ingrained in your mind that why aren't there more people who look like me in this area? You know, what's going on at the school that is majority black that, um, that keeps us out of these classes, these gifted classes? And and, and uh, these programs that are designed to push folks forward and to make them high achieving and you know, all those kinds of things. And so it, it became really clear to me 
it, it became an issue for me as, as a young woman to, to raise these issues, to realize a tremendous uh, challenge to me as, as a woman, as an African-American woman, and then to go to UCLA and to see, you know, the things that were there right in the heart of the 60s and and really seeing all of the the, the issues being raised and, and really being bombarded with uh, a lot of the stuff that I had kind of been shielded from in uh, in my community, but was uh, put front and center at UCLA and mm-hmm. the, the leaders at the time. So, you know, I, I became very aware of it and I, I began to work in my own community where I lived off of, on 45th and Broadway because most of the kids knew nothing about UCLA. They knew nothing about college. You know, they were intrigued by the fact that I, that I was going to someplace they never heard of. It was an eye opener for me, but also a responsibility that I began to volunteer at the Malcolm X Center and places in my community. I work with Operation Breadbasket as an undergraduate uh, to start looking at the practices that were occurring where they were taking the meat from uh, from Westwood and, and, and coloring it red and bringing it down to the neighborhood and selling it at the same price, doing it as its last day of being good meat mm. and, and pro- protesting and operating with Operation Breadbasket to protest some of the uh, discriminatory practices in the uh, in the markets that that existed in our community. These things were, you know, were being done on a regular basis, and so it helped me to understand um, just how insidious discriminatory practices can be, and how uninformed our community can be uh, unless we have some trusted voices that really go and get the information and bring them to us, so that we can understand what is occurring. Paying the same price for meat that's three days old, you know. Um, those kinds of things became very, uh, very important to me as I began to uh, realize as a student at UCLA that I had uh, far more to offer than simply being a student for myself, that I had to come home and deal with my community and bring with it the knowledge and the information that I had gotten from being a student at UCLA. Well, as you mentioned, in the late 60s, early 70s, you went to UCLA. You received your BA, MA, and PhD by the age of 26. Uh, Prior to receiving your doctorate, you became a professor at San Diego State University at the age of 23, where you co-founded the Department of Africana Studies. Um, Because of your background, I want to ask you about uh, President Biden's student debt relief package that he just passed. Um, It forgives $20,000 if you went to college on Pell Grants, $10,000 if you didn't, caps loan repayments at 5% of your income. So that adds up to $50 billion in debt relief for 20 million people. But the criticism is it's not enough. There's a lot left behind. But by all measures, this is still a historic and and uh, hugely helpful thing. What are your thoughts on this? You know, it's, it's interesting you asked me that question because I was thinking about it this morning as I was reading about some of the Democrats who will not embrace Biden's plan because they, you know, in certain places where there's a low uh, graduation rate for college goers and so forth, and so they don't value it. But that makes an assumption that they don't value it. They may, it may, it, it may be a reality that they are that it's inaccessible to them. Right. It's a whole lot of different people say they don't they don't really value education. Well, if it's not made available and the resources are not there, you don't know whether people value it or not. And I, I haven't seen anyone who doesn't have a dream that one of their kids will go to college at some point because they themselves realize the value of it when they don't have it. Um, you know, I take pride in the fact that I graduated from UCLA with uh, in, as 26 years old, uh, became a professor 23, as poor as my family was. And when I finally got my doctorate, uh, they sent me my bill uh, that I owed uh, for the education for the three of the best degrees in the world. And I owed $1,250. Wow. 
Wow. California was good to its students. Yeah. Uh, it had very low tuition and it was intentional that this was supposed to be institution, University of California, when you read its preamble, it was designed to be the, the institution that would compete with the Stanford's and the SC's because those were for the folks who had money and resources and the colleges and so forth and so on. And so the University of California was specifically designed for poor people to go to school to some of the best institutions and to be able to compete with the others. That's what it was for. It's, it wasn't really designed for affluent people. And, uh, and, and, and so when you look at it and, and, and the cost of going to school at the time was so low, even when I became a professor at San Diego State, it was like $37.50 for kids to go to San Diego State every semester, okay? Uh, right. It's designed to help poor people. And the question becomes, does it work? And mm-hmm. when my generation starts whining about um, uh, you know, forgiveness of loans, we had nothing to forgive. And in fact, I had $2,500 as a, as a debt from three degrees, and 50% of it was, was, was taken away because I had taught for at least five years. And if you taught for five years, you, you lost 10% every year. If I had taught in an inner city school, it would have been 20%. So those who went to school with me and went to see, teach in inner city schools had zero debt. You know? And so then the question becomes, does it, is it beneficial? Yes, because I'm, I'm a taxpayer. I'm an avid taxpayer. I, I live in California, remain in California, probably as a result of the degrees I got. Uh, I pay taxes. I contribute to California. I contribute to the wealth of California, to the intellectual capacity of California to be on the leading edge of education and all those things. It, investment in education by state entities is, is, is critical to the development of that state. And we can't talk about our, our, our how wonderful California is, whether it's tourism, whether it's our concern for the ocean, whether it's it's our whole technology entity. In, in San Diego and up in Silicon Valley, all those things are driven by the brain power of California. So you, you never lose when you pay for education. And we have benefited as a state, as a state, as a result of being able to educate our children. When I was asked to run for the assembly, I was like, oh, I don't want to. I'm tired. I've done all this work. Should I do it? And, and, and at that time, we were creating policies. And my friend Tony Atkins says, we have no one in the legislature that has as much knowledge as you have in commitment to K-12 and post-secondary. Mm. And I said, okay. And I said, I okay. I said, because I owe California, period. Wow. It has been good to me. It has changed the trajectory of myself and my family. $1,250. <laughs> You you said a few minutes ago that California was good to its students. You're you're proof of that. Let's talk about how California is really good to its voters. <laughs> the state has been a leader in expanding voting rights, making the ballots more accessible. Uh, your predecessor, my former boss, Senator Alex Padilla, implemented a really successful vote by mail system where Every registered voter is automatically sent a ballot. I now live in Texas. People would keel over and shock here <laughs> if we got that. Um, however, you know, the, the most recent um, primary election in California had a low turnout, about 27 percent. What do you think is is going on and what are your plans for the future of of making voting not just more accessible in California, but um, more participatory. Right. Well, you know, I think the last that we can we've been looking, we're looking at the data, the last uh, election 
was was you know it's kind of a fluke in a way those midterm primaries are always uh low to roll to turnout mm-hmm. uh, we're looking at the fact that california has that top two thing so people don't see this as really the real election because you can't win in the real you can't win in the primary and many of it so you've got to go on anyway you know people say god surely y'all got almost 60 percent of the vote and you got to run again i mean you know so people don't always take the primary, unfortunately, California, that seriously, mainly because of some of the things that we've done that may have tweaked it in some ways. Uh, plus, keep in mind the fact that we are probably suffering from voter fatigue. We mm. have so many elections in the last year. The people go, what? Again? You know, we have another election? Why? <laughs> you know, I mean, people, we had, you know, people voted twice for sometimes for assembly members, you know, where they were voting not only for the primary, but voting for a special election. Right. We just have had voter fatigue, and 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 I think hopefully this is a fluke. Uh, it won't happen again. But we are in the process also. Of, but keep that in mind that while that happens, we have we've increased our voting poll uh, uh, pot by you know we're eighty three percent of all of the uh, potential voters in California are registered to vote. Oh wow! So so we've done a yeoman job of not of even increasing the the voting base in the, since the twenty twenty election by another two percent. And, and and my folks are out there registering people every day. We're sending okay. letters to those who are who were former incarcerated to make sure they know those that are on parole. We've had workshops with them to let them know. We've been registering uh, students. So we have a student registration that's going on at 16. Uh, we're getting kids to work in the polls. Uh, so we we've been pushing the issue and. And maybe the the um, the uh, recall election may have just burned people out because we had tremendous turnout for recall. But we're still out there beating the bushes. My staff is working very hard at every fair. Every we're back now to the new voter to the new citizens. Uh, we uh, we did one last week, this week, mm-hmm. the other week before. So all new citizen events, we show up and we register. Uh, you know, hundreds of people who want to be registered to vote. Um, so we're working to do that, and then we're working with the communities to do the turnout. Mm-hmm. We can register them, but we got to motivate them to go. And people generally get motivated to go when there's something to vote for. You know, if they if there's a recall and they're really upset that they didn't like the recall concept, then they will go to the polls. We're hoping at some point with a lot of our education with young people, because we're trying to turn them out, is that we can create for them with them a sense of importance of voting, period. Just mm-hmm. voting. Not so much that it has to be something that you see on the ballot that you want that it is your voice and you need to express it and let people know what you believe in. And so we're working to try to create a culture of voting, uh, not only with the students, but with their parents, with young and new parents, so that they understand that their kids will do what they see them do. That's what most of us have done. Uh, and we're doing a lot of town halls. We're having one coming up not uh, uh, fairly soon uh, because uh, I want people to understand what we have out of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Mm where we are in terms of the peril that we face in this nation. And folks need to understand that this is a very serious election that's coming up. We've got at least a dozen people running who don't believe 2020 was real. Right. Uh, We've got a whole bunch of secretaries of state. It's the most important position now more than any other because we want to get in there and turn and, and, and subvert the vote. So we've got a lot of deniers running for secretary of state. Uh, that has could have a profound impact upon the national level, and uh, and so locally, uh, statewide, we're we're working with the national efforts to try to help raise funds, to raise issues, to keep our people aware of the fact that there are some deniers out there that want to be in charge of elections, and and since we can't count on the Supreme Court, 
to basically adhere to the principles of democracy. In this country, we are fighting hard to make sure that those folks do not get in office and do not subvert the vote because that's the foundation of our democracy. You know, so, we're not a state without that. So we're working hard on this election. It is, it is uh, California has, and some people are upset that we have opened up the voting to everybody who's not sitting in a state or federal prison in California and as a citizen can vote. That is rare. Uh, you know, and, and as folks were asking that, well, do you throw people off the polls if they have off the rolls if they haven't voted in the last two or three elections? No, we do not in California. We do not just arbitrarily throw you off from voting simply because of that. We have very good uh, records of who's voting. We have very good records of those who are registered to vote. We honor those those folks who are registered to vote and give them the opportunity. They have we have what our campaign is more days and more ways. Uh, some counties have up to 11 days to vote. And uh, and the reason why and, and, and many of them vote in advance. Uh, we have folks who have voting boxes in all of our universities of California mm-hmm. at CSU so that there's special places to to actually turn in your ballot. We're getting people to work the polls. And so in spite of all the negative information and the deniers that we even have here in California, uh, we are still moving forward with the with with getting people to be energized and to and to vote and to make sure that everyone who who can legally uh, will register and will participate in the process. Um, I know that um, vote by mail upsets a lot of people because they, <laughs> they they declare fraud and all kinds of stuff. But it's you know I tell people that it's an interesting thing to me that before we had vote by mail required in the state, there were some some counties in California that actually had 100% vote by mail. Mm. Uh, and the end of the day, and generally they were not counties of color. They were in far remote areas where it's difficult to get to a poll. Right. And permanent vote by mail for the whole county. And it, and nobody declared fraud. Nobody said, is all those farmers dead or alive? No one asked these questions. We just accepted it, you know? And the same is true in Florida, you know, where you where you have the, the, the former president who was a permanent vote by mail person. Right. Now they're so concerned and maybe... Maybe these people of color don't understand permanent. And so therefore we need to have them uh, sign up every election. You know, these are these are obstacles. These are these are the Jim Crow laws that are trying to impact the voter turnout by making it harder for people to vote, making it difficult for them rather than to make it easy. So like so many things, California, where everybody's running away from it and California, we're running into it. They're running to basically open up the polls. Everybody's running away from critical race theory. What do we do? We require ethnic studies at all of our Cal State systems. And we also require it in our K-12 system. So while everybody's running away from that stuff because they really are really running away from themselves, uh, we are running to it. We're embracing the diversity of California. We're diversity. We're embracing the, the democracy of California. And we're encouraging everyone to register and to vote. Well, you you segued into our our next question, so we wanted to talk about the attacks on our democracy and the disenfranchisement of voters all over the country. And you did a good job of um, trolling Mariah for moving out of California into Texas too. There at the end, also, because <laughs> I'm very proud to live here in California for all the reasons that you stated. And um, and it's a good point that you made too about you know, like. Uh, Vote by mail used to favor Republicans, uh, and uh, and so they didn't seem to have a problem with it when more Republicans were actually using vote by mail. And and now that that shifted, all of a sudden, vote by mail is uh, somehow fraudulent. It's not. Um, 
So uh, thank you for for all the work that you're doing. at a moment where we're feeling uh, a great surge um, and momentum for Democrats heading into the midterms, I think it's really important for us all to remember the obstacles we still have to overcome, especially, as you mentioned, like in Georgia, they're purging the rules right now. And um, and as easy as it is for us to register voters here in California, it's uh, 10 times more difficult in uh, Texas, where Mariah is, to uh, become someone who's able to register voters. So. Um, I guess the last question I want to ask you, holistically, knowing all of that, is what's giving you the most hope for the future right now? Well, you know, it it, it is um, in these times, as I tell folks, it's always difficult to have hope because of the tremendous onslaught that occurs every day. And even when you see evidence that is so clear about uh, why people are raising issues and and why they want to purge roles. I was on a call the other day, people were talking about that to me in one of the more conservative media uh, outlets. You know, and these are all things that have come into existence, uh, as you point out, because of the change of the diversity of the of the, of the population that's voting. Right. Be very, very honest about it. Um, what gives me hope every now and then is that there are others, there was a time in my life when I was the only one raising the issue. You know, mm-hmm. I'm standing in the streets uh, raising the issue with a, holding hands with a few other black folks. Um, I get hope in the fact that there's some other people who don't look like me who now raise the issue. And just as I get ready to stand up and say something, they said, Dr. Weber, you've already raised it so much, and I, we know you're tired. Let us handle this for you. That there are, there's another generation of folks that are coming forward with it. My task and my hope lies in the fact that that I have had thousands and thousands of students over the years who have heard what we've talked about, who've studied the history of California and studied the history of this nation, and that they're now in charge, black, white, Asian, Latinos, whatever. I have so many students who are running for office, who are in California, who are across the nation. I just had one call me this morning uh, uh, volunteering to help uh, so many students that I have I have touched and others have touched in trying to change the, the trajectory that despite what we see, there's still a cadre of them and, and a large population of them to join us old folks who have been on the fighting line for a long time to really bring change, uh, to really see what is happening and all the things that we see around us. Uh, what happened in Kansas is encouraging that people are really standing up for women's rights. Uh, you know, so every now and then when you think that this thing is going crazy, so that uh, Ryan in New York somehow another pulls it out yeah. and, and reminds us that our voice counts, that as I go from place to place, I get encouraged. And what keeps me from being discouraged is the fact that, um, you know, I'm just one of, of, of a few and there, there, there are many, but also the fact that before me, those folks had it a whole lot harder. You know, if they had been saying the things that I'm saying and things that you're saying and we're saying together, we'd be hanging from some tree somewhere. Hmm. You know, uh, our life would have been in peril. Uh, We'd be unemployed. We'd be under attack and we're under attack. But at least there is some uh, some defense for us in terms of the issues that we raise. And I and, and I think that is so very important for us never to forget. All it's the anniversary of, of equality for women, but women never forget that while we have feel comfortable now, we should not feel comfortable. 
because those women fought hard to get women the right to vote. Uh, the Voting Rights Act in 1965 cost the life of a whole lot of people. Mm. And I think that's why it's so important when we talk about critical race theory and all these things, people need to understand that is a significant part of California's history. And so I continue to get energized when I think I'm going to lose my hope. I think about the folks on the on the Pettus Bridge in Selma who had no idea what was on the other side, yet they still took the bridge. And I think we have to continue to live in that legacy because that's the legacy of this nation. That is a that we are struggling for a more perfect union. We are not perfect, but we're all struggling together to make it better for each and every one of us. And so I get it. I get energized when I think about my ancestors, when I think about my dad, who almost was lynched in the South. And yet he continued to have hope and have his eight kids to come to California uh, in the most difficult times. And even after their efforts to attack him, my dad put all of us in a, a station wagon every four years and drove back to Arkansas that, so that they could see he was still alive mm. that okay, <laughs> and that he was unafraid. And uh, and that motivates me because I have never had that level of attack on me that my father had on him, you know, and yet mm-hmm. he continued to stand and have hope for himself and his kids and never back down and never gave up. So we have uh, we have a lot to fight for in this country. And I think I look at this new battle as, as I told you to tell my students, what's going to be your moment? You know, what's going to be your civil rights movement? What's going to be your black power moment? What's going to be your student movement moment? This is their moment. You used to tell me all the stuff you do. If you were back there in the South, you wouldn't allow these people to do X, Y, Z and ABC. OK, now is your moment. What you going to do? And I ask them all the time, what you going to do? This is your moment. Uh, and you claim you'd be bolder and better and all those kind of things. I just ask you to do a few things like vote, raise the issue and pay attention. Um, I think what you gonna do, that's the perfect question to leave our <laughs> listeners with. I want and I want them to think about it and, and have some answers. Um, Dr. Weber, thank you for being here today, for motivating us, for your work on the front lines of protecting democracy as California Secretary of State. Well, thank you so much. And uh you gotta change Texas girl. <laughs> She's trying. I'm working on it. <laughs> so I'm not going to encourage you to come back to California. You're, you're needed in Texas. Oh, goodness. That's what people keep saying. <laughs> I do want to come back to California, though. And I'll throw you a few names if you need me to. <laughs> um, that would be wonderful. Okay, you guys take care. Thank Thanks you so you. much, Dr. Thank Weber. you. Have a wonderful day. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. for joining us today this is how we win we win when we all get involved we would love to hear from you uh, send us an email at hello at how we win pod or tweet to us at how we win pod at blues boy steve and especially make sure you uh, send your you know goodbyes and thank yous and your dark brandon memes to mariah <laughs> underscore craven <laughs> Oh, gosh, I'm going to start a collection. Okay, once you send me your dark Brandon meme, then make sure you subscribe, rate, and review How We Win on Apple or wherever you get your pods. It really helps us knock the semi-fascists off the (laughs) charts. They have a lot of podcasts, too. This is How We Win. Thank you so much for being here with us. I'll be back with some more next Wednesday. Bye.
SW Media.